Well, we're continuing um, this morning in our working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the passage that we'll read in a moment, it's a bit of a sort of in-between passage. So if you were here last week, we, um, Paul Wheeler was preaching, and it was a real call to holiness, a call to, to live a life after Jesus. Um, next week is a call to holiness again in very specific ways. If you look ahead, you'll see what those are. I don't want to spoil the fun for next week. Um, but this gap in the middle between the two is all about Christian fellowship and friendship. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to... 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to read chapter 2 from verse 17 down to chapter 3, verse 13. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you from a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are all destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you will always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you, because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let's pray, shall we? Yeah, Lord, we thank you for one another. We thank you for um, this letter that reminds us of the importance of Christian fellowship, of church, of being together. And we just pray as we unpack this passage this morning that you will guide us, that you will guide us to think about those things that you really want us to to sort of reflect on from your word today. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to bring your word alive to our hearts, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, you saw the pictures of our holiday without me on it um, a few minutes ago. And we have literally, just a few days ago, got back from two and a half weeks in Florida, um, spending time with Claire's family, who we hadn't seen for, for three years. Now, three years is quite a long time not to see people, especially when some of them are only six years old now. And what you notice is that if you're sort of younger, you grow a lot over that period. I think our boys have probably grown three feet in the last three years. If you're an adult, sadly, we just decay rather a lot over three years. Now, we had many highlights um, of our time there. Um, Some I'll probably bore you with in coming weeks, but I won't bore you with them today. But I think for me, perhaps the biggest highlight 
was having those days when you wake up in the morning and there is absolutely nothing you need to do. Do you like days like that? You know, when when you're sat there and you think, it doesn't matter what time I eat, it doesn't matter what time I get up, if I'm hot, I can go for a swim because there's the sea or there's a pool nearby. And you can just literally spend time with one another doing what you want. Human relationships are vitally important, aren't they? Whether that's with family, whether that's with our friends, whether that's with our church family here. And I think one of the most important things from our away day a few um, weeks ago, yes, it was great to unpack God's word and to have Jonathan doing that with us and to worship together and pray together. But wasn't it great to eat ice cream together and just to spend time losing it round us as I did? Um, And all those other things, just being together, those things really matter. And relationship is part of what it is to be a human being. Relationship really matters. It matters that we have other people to share life with. Now, the book of 1 Thessalonians has sometimes been called the friendship epistle because it is all about Paul's deep relationship with the church. I'm reading these verses today. We can sense that Paul has a real passion for this church in Thessalonica. He wants to know that they're doing well. He wants to know that they're staying on with the gospel. And just look at the language he uses. If you've got your Bible there, verse 17, we were torn away from you. You know, if you're torn away from somebody, it's not the language of platitudes, is it? It's a real longing to to see those people. It's a real desire to have fellowship again. Verse 17 again, our intense longing to see them. It's passionate language that Paul uses. But it says, but Satan stopped them. The enemy got in the way and it prevented a gathering between Paul and this church. And it's just a reminder, isn't it, is that we do face a very real enemy as Christians who seeks to do nothing but destroy the church, who seeks to do nothing from drive us away from the things of Jesus, from the centrality of the gospel. And we need to be on our guard to that. We need to be wary and we need to be praying for God's protection. So for Paul, by verse 20, he says they are his glory and his joy. Again, it's passionate language, isn't it? And he's desperate to see them. So what's he going to do? He doesn't seem to be able to get there. And it's not easy to get messages around the ancient world. You know, one thing that always amazes me is how easy it is now to speak to people, isn't it? While we were in Florida, I FaceTimed my parents a couple of times. And, you know, one press on a button, as long as you've got Wi-Fi, there they are popping up on the screen. Not so in the first century. Now, there was a postal service in the first century. Um, It was called the Curus Publicus, just for those of you who want to know. And what it meant is that letters could travel 170 miles a day. They had these relay horses that went across the empire. But it wasn't for people like Paul. It wasn't for people like you and me. It was just for Roman officials. So if you wanted to get news from somebody, you either had to go yourself or you had to send somebody else to gather news and then bring it back to you. And it could take weeks and weeks and weeks. And so what Paul would often do is he would often send somebody to go and take a letter, find out what was happening. And we see this time and again in Paul's letters. The letter to Romans was taken, most probably, by Phoebe, a lady in the church who takes it to to Rome and gathers news from what's going on in the church there. So Paul sends Timothy. He's concerned in 3.15 that the church, having undergone trials, is going to have struggled. And he wants to know what is going on. Now, I don't often preach three-point sermons, and I certainly don't often preach with alliteration, but I am going to this morning. So if that is something that delights you, you will be delighted. So I've got three Ps from this passage this morning. The first one is, um, I can't even find them now. The first one is about passion for the church. Shows how memorable they are. First one is about passion for the church. The second one, you'll probably guess it this morning, is about pleasant memory. 
And the third one is about pressure and persecution, the church being under pressure. So let's have a think about passion for the church. It springs out of this letter, the passion that Paul has for this church. He loves them. He cares for them. He's passionate about their spiritual well-being. Now, I fear sometimes that we talk about the church in the third person. I don't know if you find yourself doing this. The church should, and then whatever we don't like. Um, Or the church shouldn't, and, and so on. And we treat the church not like a body of people, but rather more like one of these organizations. You know, something like Amazon. Amazon should dot, 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 pay tax or whatever. Sorry, that sounds a bit political, doesn't it? But one of those things that we may want to put after then. Or perhaps we treat it like Warrington Council. You know, the church should take its responsibilities to the world more seriously. The church should do this. And we forget that actually the church is a body. It's us. If we're followers of Jesus, we're part of it. And, you know, churches have to be organized. We see that in the book of Acts. Very early on, deacons have to be appointed so that the church can function. But the church is never a corporation. It's never something that exists separate to us. It's never something that is an out there organization. And, you know, we say it time and again. We could lose our building. We could lose our constitution. We could lose all the stuff that is in this place. We could even lose our music. We could lose our denomination. We could lose churches together. We could lose all those things, but it wouldn't stop us being church. It absolutely would not stop us being church. But if we stop gathering in the name of Jesus, with Jesus at the center, gathering around his word, that stops us being church. That's what would stop us being church, because that's what it is. To be church is to be the body of Christ. It says in Acts 2, verse 42, the first image we get of the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That is what the church does, but what the church is, is the body of Christ. But it can be tempting, and I don't know if you find yourself ever doing this, saying, well, I love Jesus, but the church, well, you know, it's, it's all right, I suppose, in small doses, but, but sort of count me half in, half out. But if we're passionate about Jesus, we have to be passionate about the church. It's not an optional um, sort of extra Jonathan Boyer's used a a brilliant illustration, so I hope he doesn't mind me pinching it from him. I'm sure he won't. About what happens to Christians who pull out of the church. He says it's a bit like meat that you get out of the fridge. You know, it's all right for a while, but come back three or four days later and it's not that great. Come back several weeks later and it's gone rotten and it's gone off. And that's what happens if we get out of fellowship with one another. If we lose the passion for one another, what happens is we slowly start to drift. It's also important to note that God has no other plan other than the church to spread the gospel. There is no plan B. There is plan A. It is to spread the gospel through the ministry of the church. And that is it. Yes, parachurch organizations have a part in that, but it's all part of the church. If we're passionate about Jesus, then we can't but help to be passionate about the church. And we mustn't separate those two things off. So are you passionate about the church today? Are you passionate about one another? Look around. I hope it's not too scary. But are we passionate about praying for one another that we will stand firm, that we will not drift off, that we will not get distracted from the gospel, that we will not lose the main thing as the main thing? I think there's a real challenge here to pray for our church family, but also to pray for other church families. You know, pray for St. Mary's, pray for the other churches around in Lim, pray for the churches that your friends and families go to, pray for the UK church, pray for the worldwide church, that we will be faithful in sharing God's good news. Second thing, we've already talked a little bit about this, pleasant memories. It is summer, 
It's the time when memories are made. Do you want something depressing news? It's 77 days until the hour changes. And we get this. And that's why he's coming. It's always great this time of year to think it's not that long until Christmas comes around and the weather really, really turns. Um, But I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself, when the weather is like that, just sat looking out the window thinking, do I remember when I was swimming in the sea? Do I remember sat in the garden when the garden was actually a nice place to be and not just covered in slime and, and drizzle? Do I remember those times when I was on holiday and you just sort of get back and you have those pleasant memories going on. It's good to remember. Memory is part of, again, it's part of what it means to be human, is to remember and to think back. Verse 6, look what Paul says. You always have pleasant memories of us and that we long to see you, just as we long to see you. Paul's passion for this church in Thessalonica is reciprocated by their warm response to him. They remember him well. I wonder how you like to be remembered. How would you like to be remembered? Would you like to be remembered well? You know, as we've been working through this book, I think one of the themes that has come up time and again is imitation of Christ. And it's a theme that is right the way through Paul's letters. I know Paul Wheeler last week mentioned 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. You should imitate me, Paul says, just as I imitate Christ. Look at Paul and what you see is an imitation of who Jesus is. Don't know about you, but that is a very brave thing to write, isn't it? Put your own name in there. Imitate, put your name in just as I imitate Jesus. What would people remember of us? See, Paul is not always popular. Paul is not into popularity contests. He's not there to make himself, you know, just look special in the eyes of the churches. And if you read Galatians or you read the Corinthian letters, you will see he challenges the churches to the core and the relationship is not always good with the churches. But what we find here is that Paul is perfectly capable of a good reciprocal relationship that is rooted in joy and faith in Jesus. But this asks that question that we've already touched on this morning. What kind of memories do people have of us? What kind of memories, both within the church and without outside the church? You know, sometimes I think we can be guilty of putting on our Sunday best, and that does happen. You know, we come to church with the fixed grin, everything's okay when actually we're not. But sometimes the reverse is true. We come to church and we come, for some reason, with a kind of angry face on, and we pull holes in everything. Um, I had a lecturer when I was at college who said the worst I'd ever been spoken to, and this included going to the pub, working in quite um, sort of industrial-type jobs, was in a church meeting, where somebody had threatened him and sworn at him in front of the rest of the church. And he just said it was appalling that that was the case. And sometimes that can happen. Sometimes we can bring things into the church that have no right to be there. But how are we in both settings? See, what Paul is saying is that it's perfectly possible to be somebody who will challenge when it's needed, somebody who will lead a gospel-centered life, and actually be somebody who leaves pleasant memories behind you as well. Somebody who is known for being godly. When we leave the room, there's an old Graham Kendrick song, if you're my age or possibly a bit older, you will remember it, called May the Fragrance of Jesus Fill This Place. Do you remember that song? May the Fragrance of Jesus. Do we leave behind the fragrance of Jesus? Is that the kind of person that we are. So here's a question. How do we know? How do we know if we're leaving the fragrance of Jesus? How do we know that actually when we we go from a place or when we've been somewhere, the people don't just think, that person is an absolute pain in the neck. He doesn't show anything of Jesus. It wouldn't have been a tragedy if the church in Thessalonica had thought, 
Paul is such a pain in the neck. We can't be, you know, we just long to be rid of him. I hate it when he comes. He's so, he's so this, that, or the other. But no, he leaves pleasant memories. So how do we know? How do we know? Well, one thing is about self-awareness. We read the scriptures, we look at what Jesus does, we're, we're imitating Christ, and we have to be honest with ourselves and say, how am I demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit? Am I more gentle, more kind, more loving than, say, I was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? How am I in terms of loving my neighbor as myself? And be honest and be really searching of our own hearts and allow the Spirit to do a work in us. The second thing, and this is far more dangerous and risky, is ask somebody else. I don't know if you've ever had the courage to do that. Ask somebody else, do you think I reflect Jesus? Do you think I'm the kind of person who shows Jesus? You might only want to ask one person who you trust very well. Don't put a survey around on SurveyMonkey and email the whole church. Um, but just to ask those questions, you know, how am I? Where do I need to work at? What is it in my life that at the moment is creating unpleasant memories that actually don't point people to Jesus, but point people away? You see, for Paul, it is possible to be challenging and it's possible to be leaving pleasant memories. Third thing, if I had the pleasant memories, is pressure and moving on from that persecution. See, there's a, it's a growing problem for the church at the time that this letter is written. And it's that the pressure is building on the church communities right across the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, pressure happens in a lot of ways in life, doesn't it? You can be at work and you can feel te- um, stress and pressure building. You can have pressure in relationships. You can have pressure in all kinds of ways. Um, at the moment, our water supply is coming under pressure, isn't it? We're hearing this on the news. Um, this is a picture of Woodhead Reservoir. I don't know if anyone's been up there on the way over the Pennines. That's what it looked like on Thursday. You can see what is normally a great big lake full of water is just a muddy puddle. Now, our water supply in this country, we're told on the news, it can survive hot periods of time. It can survive even short droughts. But apparently, I don't think it's true around here, it can't be, that we've had seven dry months. I don't know where the the full seven is up here. Um, But seven months of of dry weather leads to drought. It leads to problems. The pressure gets so much that things have to be done to um, to make sure there's enough water left. Now, the pressure on those early church communities starts to come from different places. First of all, it comes from Jewish communities who who wouldn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, and we see that conflict throughout um, the New Testament. Secondly, it comes from pagans. It comes from pagans who, again, won't listen to the message of the gospel. Read the book of Acts and see how Paul fares in Ephesus when there's that big riot caused um, by him preaching there. And then there's this growing persecution that comes in waves through the next three centuries from the Roman Empire itself, where emperor after emperor, with Nero and Diocletian and moving into those next centuries, would persecute the church and persecute Christians who wouldn't offer incense to the emperor as God and say, if you say Jesus is Lord, then that's it, you're done for, you're to the lions. And literally many Christians were martyred for their faith. And that pressure is starting to build. Now, in our nation at the moment, we do not face that kind of pressure. We do not face that level of persecution. I think we have to be very careful in our language when we talk about the kind of pressure as Christians we're under. We are not under the same kind of pressure as Christians in the Middle East or in North Korea or in other parts of the world where it is really a life and death situation to say Jesus is Lord. But I think we are under pressure, and I think we're under growing pressure. And I think it's pressure that in all our lifetimes we we have seen increase, and we continue to see increase. But it's a very different kind of pressure. It's a pressure of sort of swimming against the tide, 
A pressure of being a Christian in a, in a world of relativity where nothing seems to be absolute. It's a pressure of being a Christian when there are so many other voices coming at us. The pressure of saying Jesus is Lord, of the unique um, qualities of Christ, of who Jesus is, in a world that actually says something very different. And I think one of the biggest challenges coming out of that is the simple challenge of having confidence in the gospel. That the gospel is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way of getting to God. And that the cross is the only way that we are forgiven. Do you have confidence in the gospel today? Be honest with ourselves. Do we have confidence? You see, I think Paul gives us a remedy here. Because sometimes I feel really confident in the gospel. And then other times I hear a barrage of other stuff. And I start to think, am I as confident as I should be? And if not, why not? Have a look at verse 13 if you've got your Bible in front of you. Paul simply says, may he that's Jesus, strengthen your hearts. What's he doing there? It's very simple. He's doing what Paul always does. He prays. He prays for the church. And he says, may Jesus strengthen your hearts. May he be the one who enables you to stand firm when you're under pressure, when things are gathering around, when the storms are gathering around. You know, a church will not face pressure standing on our own strength. We just won't do it. We will crumble. We will fall at every hurdle that is put in front of us. But if we are deeply rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, if it's his spirit who is strengthening us, as the church has proved for over two millennia, we will continue. We will keep going. Don't you think it's incredible that the church, when it's persecuted, often grows? It often grows under persecution because we have to make a decision. We have to say, I'm in or I'm out. You can't sit on the fence when those kind of decisions are coming. So Paul prays. For the church. There's another backdrop which I think offers us a bit of encouragement as well. Look at that, that last verse again. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And it's, it's the hope that actually this world is not all there is. That Jesus will one day return, as the ancient creeds say, in great glory to judge the living and the dead. That he will come back and we will be with him forever and ever. So if we're under pressure, if we're feeling the heat, if we're feeling that actually things are tough, remember that actually there is a hope that outlasts everything that we see in this world. There is a greater purpose. There is eternity with Christ to look forward to. So Paul encourages this church, and he encourages us today, live with the hope and the certainty that Jesus is returning. Is that resonating? Yeah? Is that resonating in our hearts that Jesus will return? That one day he will be all in all and his glory will cover the whole earth. That is the hope of the Christian faith. Now, through the last 2,000 years, there have been times when the church has been sort of on its edge of its seat, thinking, it's going to happen now, and sometimes that's caused a lot of problems. There's been equally the opposite times when people have thought, I wonder if this will happen at all. Perhaps this is just some vague idea. Now, we've got to get the balance. You know, we don't want to be on the edge of our seat because we'll never get anything done. But to go to the other extreme is to deny scripture. So are we confident that Jesus will return, whether in our lifetime or at some other point in the future. See, Paul prays, keep your nerve. Be strengthened. Be in fellowship. Be encouraged. Keep going. And really, that is what he's about in these verses. Keep going. Let's be passionate and praying for each other. So I just want to ask you this morning, where are you up to with your confidence in the gospel? Where are you up to? If you're feeling like that is at a really low ebb today, and you're happy to talk that through with somebody or to pray that through with somebody. Perhaps 
somebody you've come with, perhaps come and chat to me or one of the other leaders. I think, I'm not sure if any of our prayer team are here this morning. But just pray with somebody. Pray that God will strengthen you. Do what Paul does for the church here. That we will be strengthened to withstand whatever pressure that this world throws at us and stay firm in our faith and confident in Jesus. Let me pray for us. And Phil, if you'd come back up with the worship team. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that um, the early church did stay confident in the gospel and did stay strong. And we thank you that we are here today because people, women and men through millennia, have said Jesus is Lord and stuck to it with a confidence and a hope and a joy in the gospel. And we just pray today, Lord, would you give us that deep-seated trust and hope in you? And Lord, perhaps if we are wobbly for whatever reasons, Lord, would you help us to pray this prayer? Paul prays at the end of these verses. So let me read it. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And this verse particularly. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Lord, may that be our prayer this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen.